0: Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Raul Tindalkar, an associate professor in radiation oncology here at Cleveland Clinic. He's here to talk to us about PSMA PET scans for patients with prostate cancer. Welcome, Raul. Thanks, Dale. So uh, maybe to start, give us a little idea. What's your role here at Cleveland Clinic?
1: Sure. So I'm a radiation oncologist uh, here at uh, TOSIG, and I've been here on the faculty since 2008, and my clinical practice has been in the treatment of genitourinary and breast cancers. Over the years, it's kind of evolved, interestingly, as, as times have changed and A lot of my practice these days in the management of prostate cancer uh, really revolves around the use of this uh, new scan that we have, the PSMA PET scan. All right, so let's just kind of launch in. PSMA PET scan, what is that? Sure, so PSMA stands for Prostate-Specific Membrane Antigen. It's a protein on the surface of uh, prostate cells. It was actually first identified about three decades ago by one of our own faculty here, uh, Skip Heston, who's in the Lerner Research Institute, Um, So there's been a long kind of history getting us to this moment. And so PSMA PET scans have evolved around the idea of uh, attaching radio tracers uh, that will find and hone in on these PSMA proteins on the surface of prostate cells. And that will allow us to identify low volume uh, metastatic uh, prostate cancers in, in patients with a suspected recurrence. So this has been really an important evolution in our ability to find recurrences at an earlier stage than we've ever been able to do before.
0: So just how much more sensitive are they? So, you know, traditionally, like our old CTs and bone scans, you may have to have a PSA that's pretty high, for instance, before you'd even think about getting one. So how how has that changed when to pull the trigger on a scan with a PSMA
1: PET scan? Oh, you're exactly right. You know, the sensitivity is so much better than, than bone scans or CT scans. I know when you and I were in medical school and in training together, you know, we were taught not to bother ordering one of these tests until somebody's PSA got to at least maybe five or 10 or higher than that, because the yield of finding something on a bone scan was gonna be quite low. Um, nowadays, in, in men who have had a prostatectomy where uh, ideally the PSA should be close to zero, um, we can detect uh, patients who may have an early recurrence with a PSA as low as 0.2 or 0.3. Um, the yield of a PSMA scan goes up as the PSA rises, um, but once we get to a PSA level of approximately 0.5 or so, there's roughly a 50-50 chance of finding something um, you know, pretty small. And so we can find disease as, as small as maybe 5 millimeters in size um, at a PSA of 0.5 or so. Um, and so that's, that's been really remarkable, you know, again, in, in context, uh, a bone scan, you might not see something until the PSA was maybe five or 10. So in uh, order of magnitude, uh, you know, better in that, uh, in that context. So practically
0: speaking, how, how has that changed your practice? So, you know, we all know that, uh, you know, guys with prostate cancer, they, they keep an eagle eye on that PSA. Um, do you have people coming in asking for scans earlier and then are you reacting to those or how do, how do you, in, a, in the real world setting, how do you deal with that?
1: Um, so it's helped in a multitude of different ways. Um, so right now, PSMA PET scans are approved in the United States uh, for the work of, of suspected recurrence in men who have previously had treatment to their prostate. So either a prostatectomy or definitive radiation therapy. And usually after those treatments, um, you know, their PSAs will go down um, in large part. And in those who have a subsequent rise in their PSA is when, you know, we start getting that anxiety about, all right, is this cancer coming back? Or is this, uh, you know, maybe in somebody who's had radiation to the prostate, maybe there's some just natural PSA being made made from the gland itself. Um, so it's a little bit hard to distinguish in that setting uh, who might have a you know recurrent cancer or not. Um, and so this has been really helpful to to try to identify if uh, if a recurrence is coming back. And I counsel patients there are generally three places where prostate cancer tends to recur. Um, number one is locally in the area of the prostate if somebody still has a prostate or in the prostate bed if it's been surgically removed. Um, and that's that's one of the more common uh, places of a, of a recurrence, especially after a prostatectomy. Um, number two, a recurrence can happen in the lymph nodes in the pelvis. And PSMA PET scans have been remarkably helpful at identifying uh, early recurrences in the lymph nodes. And then number three, it can come back in the bones uh, elsewhere in the body. And, and again, compared to a bone scan, a PSMA PET scan is is particularly uh, effective at finding um, finding those as well. So we can really provide patients with a little bit more accurate assessment of where the source of their cancer might be coming from, if they even have a a visible one. And and other times it's actually helpful to get a negative PET scan. In other words, uh, we, we do the test, we don't see anything, and we can reassure them that Whatever is making their PSA is still microscopic at this stage, and uh, th- that can affect you know kind of how we move forward with treatment planning. So I guess one
0: setting where this could be considered, you know, if you have a patient that has prostatectomy, they start having that recurrent PSA, and traditionally they may get salvage radiation therapy, you know, maybe saving people from that. How often does it happen? with the conventional imaging that you would radiate someone's prostate bed, um, PSA still goes up and everyone gets frustrated. Um, we might be able to avoid that. How, how, how big of a problem was that? And, and, and is this a good solution?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So historically in men with a rising PSA, you know, the effectiveness of radiation therapy depends on the PSA level at which we're treating somebody. So, for example, if somebody has a relatively low PSA like 0.2 or in that in that ballpark, um, they might have an expected, um, you know, success rate with salvage radiation in the order of maybe 70, 75%, something like that. Um, For those who have a PSA more like 0.5 or higher that success rate, you know, drops pretty quickly, you know, maybe 50-60% or something like that depending on their pathology findings. Um, and so that's a large percentage of people that we're treating who who then subsequently recur and may have had, you know, p- potentially unnecessary uh, treatment that would subject them to, you know, side effects uh, from that. And so this has been I think really helpful to try to select patients a little bit better. And and I think that's been you know, in in your world of oncology as well, I think uh, we're seeing a lot of the the recent trends and things that we're trying to achieve is really selecting the right treatment for the right patient at the right time and trying to balance aggressiveness of our treatments to the aggressiveness of how the disease is behaving and, and then trying to back off when uh, we don't need to. And so I think this has been a really helpful um, approach. And I guess
0: sort of continuing that, so, Actually, um, Eric Klein has been uh, a guest on this podcast, uh, I think, three times. But one of the things, particularly when talking about prostate cancer, he always really talks about making sure we don't over-treat patients and, and avoiding harm. What do you foresee as the harm um, that might come about by doing a, P- a PSMA PET scan, finding some residual disease, and say, a, a, you know, where, where someone had their prostate removed... And then they get radiation in a setting where, quite honestly, they're not having symptoms. It may be a long period of time before it would cause them problems. Uh, what do you see as maybe the downside of early detection using this test?
1: You know, certainly, we are still, I think, in in the infancy of the PSMA PET era uh, with regard to understanding what do we do with this information. It has really changed how we look at things, and um, you know, clinical trials can't happen fast enough to provide us with guidance on on kind of what to do for example a a common scenario that we see is somebody comes in with a rising psa after a prostatectomy and uh, let's say it shows a positive lymph node in the pelvis so do we do radiation therapy or surgical uh, dissection of just that lymph node um, or should we treat the remaining lymph nodes throughout the pelvis as well um, because certainly the the larger volume that you treat with radiation or with surgery um, may result in more side effects. And so, you know, can we take this so-called, you know, I tell patients whack-a-mole approach. So if we see something, we zap it, and uh, we can do very targeted radiation therapy called stereotactic body radiation therapy, which delivers very focused radiation to small targets uh, in an ablative manner. And so, you know, can we use this SBRT to treat an isolated pet-detected recurrence and then spare patients from having, you know, whole pelvic radiation. And then if it comes back in another location, perhaps a couple of years later, we can treat that in the same uh, type of manner. And really, you know, in an attempt to provide a long disease-free interval with limited toxicity and also limited inconvenience. One of the nicer things about this SBRT approach is Treatments can be done in maybe three treatments over the course of one week as opposed to whole pelvic radiation, which may require up to seven weeks of daily radiation. So a lot more inconvenience and a lot more side effects related to whole pelvic radiation, such as, you know, impact on bowel and bladder function.
0: And do you think that we may ultimately sort of extend that to, you know, metastatic sites? So someone has a, a, a rising PSA, you do this sort of scan and you can find three bone lesions. So instead of, and historically, they may be started on androgen deprivation and all these other sort of systemic therapies. Can we intervene at an early age and, and stop sort of metastatic spread?
1: Yeah, that has been really the most exciting part about the advent of PSMA PET scans in recent years, as well as the SBRT paradigm kind of taking off in recent years. So kind of concomitantly, both of these technological improvements have really shifted how we approach this. Um, Some recent data suggests that oligometastatic disease, so finding up to, you know, one to three uh, positive areas on one of these PET scans can occur in about 50% of patients who, who do uh, eventually have positive uh, PET avid lesions. And so that's actually representing a large proportion of, of findings, is finding very early limited number of recurrences. And if they're located in places where we can safely do SBRT, um, it's really attractive to to offer this. There was a recent trial called the Oriel trial in which patients received SBRT to uh, oligometastatic sites. So up, again, up to three uh, areas that were irradiated. And those who had SBRT to all of the pet identified sites had a distant metastasis free survival of something like 80% at two years, which is remarkable that this was without hormonal therapy or other systemic therapies at all, just a proof of principle that giving ablative radiation to these pet identified sites can render patients free of disease for. At least a couple of years in the in the majority of cases. So that's really been an exciting development, um, and and I think this has become an important part of our our practice in a very short period of time. This really does
0: totally change our perspective on what is metastatic disease. Is this an area where we're going to have to kind of rethink all of our treatments in prostate cancer in terms of when we treat and what's truly metastatic, and and that balance of when to treat uh, patients and the actual effect of adding drugs in metastatic
1: setting? Yeah, you know, I think historically, the moment that we labeled uh, something as as a situation of metastatic disease, you know, we think of it, it's stage four, it's incurable. There's not, you know, much we can do. We try systemic therapy until it doesn't work, and then we try something else. Um, you know, I, I think the, the era that we're entering you know, you're right. I think we have to really think about this in a new way and maybe redefine the terms that we use, you know, very, very carefully. Um, I I look at the improvements in systemic therapy in prostate cancer as also being really remarkable. A number of new drugs that have been approved based on clinical trials that have uh, prolonged survival for those with newly diagnosed metastatic disease. So we now have at least a handful of systemic therapies that have uh, each independently uh, prolonged survival compared to hormonal therapy alone and then when you couple that with the ability of uh, stereotactic radiation to treat sites of gross disease, uh, I think these drugs can be very effective at treating microscopic disease um, and and really I think we're going to see a shift in terms of how we approach patients and really the goal of I think oncology in general, if we can't cure it up front, our goal is to turn it into a chronic disease that people can live with and have a, have a good, healthy quality of life uh, going forward. And so, you know, I think that's really our aim um, with all of these incremental areas of progress. I mean, it's pretty significant. I mean, we're both of course, quite young, but,
0: um, you know, as we started practice, we really had, you know, docetaxel as a systemic therapy. Now we have two chemos and a couple hormone therapies and immunotherapies we have uh, more
1: genomic-based therapy, so it's pretty impressive. Absolutely, yeah, it's been 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 really neat to see uh, all the progress just in the last five years.
0: You know, when we think about you, you mentioned before sort of being able to sort of redefine where you treat, and that was kind of a from upfront treatment uh, based on PET scans, and I guess a, a similar thing would happen for salvage radiation is sort of sparing some areas of of uh, that's being treated to minimize toxicity. Anything else that's happening either from an imaging standpoint or a radiation technique standpoint that um, you find particularly interesting in prostate cancer?
1: Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned um, genomics. Uh, that's that's also something that's changing a lot. So that's a, that's a really exciting advancement. And, you know, I, I think we'll talk later on about predictive tools and nomograms and things like that uh, that may be useful to help guide us in making decisions. But, you know, I think integrating some of the biology that we learn from genomics for example with the imaging and kind of coupling those together to select very personalized treatment is really the kind of the step forward and the exciting parts that we're kind of seeing come into motion now
0: i guess as, as we've been talking about this uh these psma scans widely available is are there difficulties with coverage in some areas or difficulty even with availability
1: Yeah, so there are a couple of different PSMA tracers that are available in the United States. Um, When the more recent one was FDA approved in 2021, I think that really expanded the number of centers across the country that do offer this option. Um, We've been fortunate to have it here at Cleveland Clinic for about a year now. And, um, you know, again, in a very short period of time, we saw demand, you know, really through the roof. And, And I think it just goes to show how much clinicians and patients uh, really kind of uh, needing some tools like this. So, yeah, as the, as the availability has um, improved, I think we'll see this spreading throughout the community more and more, and I think that'll be a, be a really great thing.
0: I guess while we have uh, an opportunity to get some insight, something that frequently comes up with prostate cancer and radiation, proton Yes. No. Any advantages at this point?
1: Yeah. You know, so proton therapy is something that a lot of patients ask about when they, you know, they come into the clinic and and you read about uh, so many different options that are out there. You know, we could go on about um, things like, you know, HIFU and cryotherapy. So uh, along with proton therapy, there's so many things that are out there that um, people are, are interested in learning about. With proton therapy, what, makes it really uh, attractive, at least on a theoretical level, is that um, as the proton beam enters into tissue, it has a certain stopping point after which the proton therapy doesn't continue. And so there's no energy deposited beyond that. And we see this graphically in what we call a a, a Bragg peak. And so depending on how you arrange the the proton beams um, around a target, you can really kind of minimize the overall dose to normal tissues. The dose around the target, though, is still going to get a high dose of radiation, whether you use X ray photons or protons. And so, you know, really the theoretical advantages of of proton is to reduce some of the low low dose radiation scatter throughout the body. And so, you know, unfortunately, we haven't seen yet that the hypothetical advantages of proton therapy have translated into clinical advantages just yet. And, And I think it's probably because you know the high dose deposition in the prostate and around it to the subsequent you know bladder and rectum we don't quite maybe get the fall off that uh, we would like to see that could spare those tissues and and i think also concomitantly how x-ray photon therapy has evolved and improved you know we're we're seeing maybe similar results so far There are really important ongoing randomized trials to compare these modalities with each other and and i think until we have those data available um you know it's going to be hard to predict if there's going to be a winner uh between them um but so far you know i think uh just like any modality protons have their pros and cons and i guess
0: the other uh the other modality for radiation and how it might link to our ability to target exactly where um tumor might be with these new psma pet scans
1: any um any changes in brachytherapy yeah, you know, and, and you know, brachytherapy is, uh, for those who may not be familiar with it, is implantation of, you know, radioactive materials inside and around the tumor. So in, in prostate cancer, there are two ways of delivering brachytherapy. One is low dose rate, where we place uh, radioactive seeds, and they stay in, in, in the prostate basically forever until they fizzle out and, and all the radioactivity is gone. Um, and then there's high dose rate brachytherapy, where temporary catheters are placed and usually over a couple of different treatment sessions, the prostate is exposed to, to radiation using uh, an afterloader uh, to, to deposit the energy on a temporary basis. And so the patient isn't radioactive and doesn't go home with radioactivity inside of them. So just two kind of important distinctions. But you know, I think we're, we're learning more and more about uh, both of these modalities, a lot of interest in using brachytherapy for recurrent prostate cancers. Um, and so historically... You know, one of the perceptions of external beam radiation therapy was if a cancer recurred uh, locally after uh, directed radiation uh, to the prostate, that we couldn't do more radiation a second time around, and maybe surgery, uh, salvage prostatectomy, was the only way to treat a, a recurrent prostate cancer. Um, and there's a lot more data coming out in the last couple of years suggesting that you can use. Um, brachytherapy, either LDR or HDR brachytherapy for locally recurrent prostate cancers. There was a published uh, prospective trial um, that was done internationally showing the efficacy and relative safety of this. So th- th- these are some areas that are, I think, really uh, exciting to see how we can integrate um, this to you know, spare patients from having uh, to have a prostatectomy if they if they don't want to have one. Some patients may not be medically fit for that. And so offering this uh, as a salvage option is, is uh, in one area. And then the other area where brachytherapy uh, is of, of a lot of interest is using it as a boost. In other words, where we give a certain dose of radiation to the Pelvic lymph nodes and the prostate. And we give a little extra dose with uh, brachytherapy for patients with very high risk disease. Um, and so that's uh, another area where we're seeing some intensification of treatment that may be uh, useful to, to improve our control rates. Certainly, uh,
0: Certainly, it sounds like PSMA PET scans are changing the way we think about the disease. Some exciting new things in terms of how we deliver therapies and I appreciate you being here with us
1: for your insights. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's my first time on a on a podcast, and it's been it's been fun. So thanks for having me.
0: To make a direct online referral to our Tosa Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org/slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances.